0: hello my friends good day to you this is pastor christopher alam at home in lancaster pennsylvania and uh, you know i just want to tell you this that uh, yeah, all these every message i record here i think we are up to about 115 116 something i each one of them i say this is pastor christopher alam at home in lancaster pennsylvania honestly i wish i could say things like this is pastor christopher alam in Thailand, or Singapore, or in Johannesburg, South Africa, or Lusaka, Zambia, but I can't because I'm here at uh, home because of this pandemic situation. And uh, like most of us who are traveling and doing missions, we can't really go anywhere until those nations open up. So um, uh, we have already missed several of our Crusades uh, this year. So please be in prayer for us because you know, it's not just a question of traveling. And it, in, in fact, I was, you know, I told my wife the other day, a few days ago, I was thinking, you know, I'm home and uh, I'm, I'm relaxing. It's, it's a relaxing time for me. Uh, 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 you know, a lot of people are going through mental issues and uh, friction in their families. And I, I cannot relate to that because I love my wife. I love my kids. My kids love me. We have a wonderful, we you know, good situation at home and I'm happy. I'm relaxed. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to the Lord uh, and, and and I'm glad I get to teach you like this on Facebook. And also I'm doing meetings for churches on Zoom. And um, in addition to that, I'm raising funds to feed pastors in Africa and people in India and Pakistan and Lebanon, places like that. So I'm glad I, I, I can do that. So I was thinking other day, the thought struck me, what if uh, Uh, you know, this would be a good time for me just to retire and be home. And then I realized, no, I can't do that. Because as long as there are sinners out there who are perishing without Jesus, I must preach the gospel. I can't just think of myself, um, what would be comfortable for me. We can't. We can't think in terms of what is comfortable for us. In fact, we have to put the eternal destiny of sinners uh, before our own comfort and so I'm in it for the right I'm in it for the long haul I want to keep on preaching the gospel as long as the hand of the Lord is upon me I'll keep on preaching the gospel praying for the sick casting out devils getting people baptized with the Holy Spirit planting churches so I'm going to do that we have you see we have something to live for you and I who know Jesus and especially those of us who are called who, have a, who live our lives, even if you're not a preacher, but you still live your life with a sense of destiny, with a sense of calling. We cannot put our comfort before the eternal destiny of other people. So, we, because we have only one life to live and we must make it count. So, I'm stuck here like most of us, I can't go anywhere. Because uh, all you know, international travel, many countries won't let me in, and many countries are on lockdown. But uh, I would encourage you uh, during this time, don't get frustrated, don't get angry, but just uh, uh, fall in love with your spouse and spend time with your children. And and and, and you know, just just relax and trust God because uh, sometime down the future. Uh, You'll be looking back at today and say, you know that and thank God. Thank God that that is over. Listen this what we are going through this too shall pass. It's a You know, it's not a permanent situation. Some people are saying oh, life will never be the same. The world will change Listen people said that 20 years ago when we were going through Y2K people thought the banking system would collapse and everything will collapse and Uh, You know, life will not be the same, but life goes on and life will go on through this also. The world has been through terrible pandemics and the world has been through, uh, through great world wars. I mean, there have been terrible things that have happened in this world, but life goes on. And for you and me who love Jesus, we are going to do well because the Lord said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hallelujah. We have something to live for and our home is in heaven, we are just passing through this world. We are just passing through. We are just sojourners. We are just uh, wayfaring strangers, as somebody said. We are travelers and we are on our way to heaven to be with Jesus. But while we are here, we're going to have a shout of praise, a shout of victory, and we are going to be victorious because the Bible says we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. Amen. Anyway, that being said, let's go back. We are talking about Yahweh Shammah. The Lord said to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh Shammah, the Lord who is ever present with you, present with you. So now I'm going to read to you from 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 4 to 14. And this is when Solomon, uh, yesterday we talked about how David, you know, when he brought in the Ark and the Ark of the Covenant, that was the presence of the Lord manifested uh, in the New Testament, we don't have the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, you don't need to build a replica of the Ark. You don't You don't really. I went to a church and they had a replica of the Ark of the Covenant on the platform, and, and I suddenly realized that was their pulpit. And you don't need a replica of the Ark of the Covenant. You don't need, uh, you know, those Old Testament symbolisms because the Lord lives in us. If you want to know where is Jesus and, you know, in the, you know, where is God? Because if you were an Israelite and somebody asks you, by the way, where is the Lord? Where is his presence? You would then point to the tabernacle there. You see the tabernacle in there, the Ark of the Covenant. That's where we seek the Lord. That's where God speaks and that is where his presence is. But in the New Testament, somebody asks you, where is the Lord? Where, is, where does he speak? You say in here, right here. Oh, you mean it's not in Jerusalem? No, no, no! It's not in Jerusalem. It's not in a city. It's not in a building. It's right here in our heart. This is—we are the temples of God. God lives in us, and this is where He lives, and this is where, you know, He, uh, He is, and this is where His presence is manifested. And which tells which because of this also, uh, we have to value every human being because uh, every—I mean, yes, if if. If they are believers, we have to value them because God lives in them. If it's a black person or a Chinese person, whatever their race, color, whatever, we have to value them and honor them because they are temples of God. If they are sinners, then they are not temples of God, but they are potential temples of God because Jesus Christ died for them and they are created in the image of God. So even if it's a gay person or an ungodly person, They are still created in the image of God, and they still have the potential of being a temple of God if Jesus comes in there. So that's why we have to honor and to love them also. We have to love people, whether they're Christians or not, whatever lifestyle they live, whoever they are, because they're all created in the image of God. Anyway, I don't know why I got into that, but that's for free. Okay, let's look at how Solomon brought the ark to the temple, when he had constructed the temple, built the temple, he brought the Ark in. And 2 Chronicles 5, 4-14, and all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the Ark. So all the leaders of Israel came, and the Levites the, took up the Ark, and they brought up the Ark, and the Tabernacle of the congregation, and all the holy vessels that were in the Tabernacle These did the the priests and the Levites bring up. So now what has happened, this is the end of the era of the tabernacle, because the Ark was in the tabernacle, because now there's a temple. They have built a temple unto the Lord. So the tabernacle was a temporary place. It was a tent, but but, but that that tent had been there a long, long time for, you know, and now it's in the temple. It's going to be in the in the temple instead of the tabernacle. It says, and they brought up the ark and the tabernacle of the congregation, and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle. These did the priests and the Levites bring up, and King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him before, assembled unto him before the ark. They sacrificed sheep and oxen, which could not be told nor numbered for a multitude. You know, as I've said earlier, uh, you couldn't come into the presence of God without blood. Blood, animals had to be sacrificed. The whole concept of uh, of uh, the innocent dying for the guilty. Um, animals, innocent animals had to suffer for man. And so there was always these sacrifices of blood. And so as uh, they sacrificed sheep and oxen, which could not be told nor numbered for multitude, which means that Solomon, Uh, He didn't just sacrifice one sheep and one ox, but they were countless. There were so many animals sacrificed that day that nobody could number them because of the multitude. I don't know whether it was hundreds or thousands of sheep. I mean, it was a bloody scene, but but that is the way man had to approach God. Man, if there was this, the sacrifices were a constant reminder that for you to come to the presence of God, somebody else has to die because you're a sinner and your sins have to be covered. And that is why we have Jesus. We always come to God through the presence of Jesus. So, you know, this is very important because, you know, nowadays people say they have a worship experience. They sing songs and they don't sing any songs about the blood, about the cross and after the worship after the worship music segment is over they say oh i felt the presence of god listen you had an emotional experience you didn't feel the presence of god the presence of god can only be manifested if there is blood we must preach about the blood. We must preach about the cross. We must sing and preach about the blood and the cross. We must lift up Jesus and his blood and the sacrifice he made at Calvary. That is what our faith centers around because without that, without the blood, we cannot even come into the presence of God. So I I want you to understand how important is this. We cannot have a bloodless Christianity, a sanitized, dried up Polish Christianity without blood. That day when Solomon was bringing in the presence of God, the Ark into the Temple, listen, there was plenty of blood there because there were so many animals sacrificed that nobody could even count them. Anyway, but that is the way it is. We Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Without the shedding of God, God of blood, man cannot enter into the presence of God. So it says, Verse 7, And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place, to the oracle of the house, into the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staffs thereof above. And they drew out the staffs of the ark, that the ends of the staffs were seen from the ark before the oracle. But they were not seen without, and there it is unto this day. There was nothing in the ark, save the two tablets, which Moses put therein at Horeb, when the Lord made a covenant uh, with the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not wait by course. Also, the Levites, which were the singers, all of them, of Asaph, of Heman, of Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them, a hundred and twenty priests sounding their trumpets, excuse me, and it came to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praise the Lord saying, for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. That then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister by Reason of the cloud for the glory of God, glory of the Lord had filled the house. Hallelujah. So, anyway, so they brought the, they were bringing the um, Ark of the Covenant in and uh, they, you know, you had all these musicians and they were playing and singing and they were singing unto the Lord. They were singing, declaring the praises of God. And he, suddenly the glory of the Lord, uh, the, like a cloud filled the house so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house. Now 2nd Chronicles 7 1, 3. this is a couple of chapters later, but this is when after the ark was in place, Solomon, he now prays this long prayer of dedication unto the Lord. You remember that prayer, if my people, if your people which are called by your name and all that, that's a part of this dedication. He prays this prayer of dedication. And look what happens. It says, And when now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down, and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, for he is good and his mercies endures forever. Hallelujah. Now this is interesting to contrast the two because when they praise the Lord in, you know, in, 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 in the first segment we read from 2nd Chronicles 5, when the, when the Ark of the Covenant was brought in. And they begin to play their instruments, and they begin to sing. For the Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. For He is good, and His mercy endures forever. So they were extolling the Lord. They were, they were, you know, they were praising the Lord and extolling Him, talking about who He is. Because that's what praise should be. Praise and virtue shouldn't be. We shall be praising, but praise and virtue, praise. When you sing and worship God, worshiping God should not be songs of us worshiping God, but they should be songs declaring and extolling how wonderful the Lord is. So they were singing, for the Lord is God and Lord is good and his mercy and yours forever. And when that happened, the glory filled the house. The glory filled the house. Okay. So the house was filled with a cloud. The, the glory cloud filled the house. But in Second Chronicles 7, what had happened they had made sacrifices and put the sacrifices upon the altar. So now the altar was bloody. The first time the altar was clean. Now the altar was bloody. And now when Solomon dedicates, he prays the prayer of dedication. Then this time, instead of uh, the cloud, there came fire from heaven. It says in verse number one, When Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. So now fire came down from heaven. And so the thing is that worship brings down the cloud, but the blood brings down the fire. You must understand that there's a difference. Worship brings in the cloud. But the blood brings down the fire. And the glory of God is found in the fire. And so what has happened, and, and now uh, when the people of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement. They were on their faces on the ground and they worshiped and they praised God for He is good and His mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. So That was when the presence of God came down into the temple. So, as I said earlier, the Lord had said, I'm Yahweh Shammah. I'm the one who is always present. And we can see this, uh, you know, this was the covenant promise that God had made to the people of Israel. And we saw this, how the presence of God was in the tabernacle, and now the presence of God was in the temple, and the Lord was always with them. and. You know, and this is what faith is. Faith is really to have the presence of God. To have the presence of God in our midst, that is the basic essence of faith. That is the essence of faith, that God is here. And when God is here, nothing is impossible. And that was a covenant promise that the people of Israel had from God. I will always be present with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And, and, you know, the Lord is our refuge and our strength in the time of trouble. He is our God. He's with us. And so Hebrews 11, let me, let me wrap this up with Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says, for without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. And this this thing even endures into the New Testament. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Faith is to acknowledge that God is Not that he was the God of the past or that he will be the God of the future. Yes, he is the God of the past. Yes, he is the God of the future. But faith is to know that he is the same today and he never changes. Amen. Now, let us go to the next name, uh, Yahweh name of God, which is Yahweh Sidkenu. Yahweh Sidkenu. Which means, I am the Lord, your righteousness. I am the Lord, your righteousness. God promised Abraham that he would be their righteousness if they kept the covenant and lived by faith. That's what the Lord said. Lord said, listen, I will be a righteousness. And uh, if you kept my covenant and you live by faith. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says, And he, Abraham believed in the lord and he was counted he and he counted it to him as righteousness so he abraham abraham believed in which means trusted in relied on remained steadfast to the lord and he counted it to him as righteousness what is actually saying that abraham he trusted in the lord with all his heart he gave himself. It is that self-giving kind of belief. When he says Abraham believed God and he was counted righteousness, it doesn't mean a mental assent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe there's a God. You know, people say, oh yeah, I believe in God. No, but he totally gave himself to God. That was a, self, a self-giving kind of faith. He gave himself to the Lord. He put all his trust and put all his reliance in the Lord. And God saw that faith of Abraham and he declared him righteous. And righteous means to have right standing with God. Righteousness means that God counts you as being right with him. Because you see, uh, the covenant came 430 years before the law was given. It is interesting that uh, God made his covenant with Abraham and 430 years later, God began to give his, uh, his uh, law to Moses. And the Bible says that the law, which came 430 years after the covenant, did not annul the covenant in any way. So from Abraham, God made a covenant with Abraham. From Abraham until Moses, you only had the covenant. Uh, and, and the covenant was relationship-based. When God said to Abraham and to his children, that listen, you walk with me, and uh, uh, and we will have a relationship. You walk with me, and you keep my covenant, and uh, I will be your righteousness. You don't have to make your own righteousness, but I will be your righteousness, and I will be your healer. I'll be the one who's always present with you. And so He made these wonderful, wonderful promises of the covenant. You know in which God promised to be everything they could ever need. I'm your provider. I'm your healer. If you're sick, I'm your healer. And, um, and then, you know, I'm your righteousness. You don't need to, uh, you know, make your own righteousness, but I am your righteousness. And then 430 years came, uh, Moses. Moses gave the law. And the interesting thing is that from the time of Moses onwards, you had both the law and the covenant. And that was very really interesting because the law was works-based and the covenant was relationship-based. Uh, but the people of Israel and their priests and all that, they kind of drifted towards the law. And it seems to me that they totally ignored or forgot or neglected the covenant. I don't know what they did, why they did. but uh, And during that time, uh, you saw uh, some people who managed to reach out and touch God. Uh, through the covenant because they knew that by the law I mean their goose was cooked there was no way they could ever be accepted by God under the law so they sought their salvation in the covenant and that was David was one of them and that's why although he was a very ungodly man but he was repentant he was broken and he sought God through the covenant and that's why God said he's a man after my own heart so when Jesus came to the picture and um, so you had these priests and You think they didn't know about the covenant? Yeah, they did, but they ignored the covenant altogether and they sought to establish their own righteousness. Because, uh, you know, for example, uh, according to the covenant, uh, the Lord had said, I'm the Lord, your healer. I'm the Lord, your healer. Yet when Jesus healed the sick, they went against it. They didn't minister or pray for the sick themselves. They didn't do so. That was not a part of their theology, but they hated Jesus for doing it. And when it came to, I am the Lord, your righteousness, I don't think they believed that either because they, uh, Jesus said, woe unto you, Pharisees, you put heavy burdens on people, yet you don't lift a finger to help them. So you can see how people had drifted away from the covenant and gone totally under the law. To the point that when Paul came, Paul had to say very clearly in Romans 3, he said, By the works of the law can no man be made righteous in his sight. So that is how far they had gone uh, away from the covenant. But let us I want us to look at the covenant and study the covenant and see how wonderful the old covenant was. The covenant that the Lord had made with the people of Israel. So the first one, he said, "I I am Yahweh Shammah which means, I'm the Lord who is always present, I will always be with you, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, hallelujah. And then now he says, I'm Yahweh Sidkenu, I'm the Lord your righteousness. So anyway, let's do this, let's uh, wind this up here and we will continue again tomorrow and we'll look at Yahweh Sidkenu, I'm the Lord our righteousness and what it meant for the people of Israel and what it should have meant. But let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the old covenant, and I thank you that we have a far better covenant, the new covenant, through the blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for your hand upon their lives. Thank you for your mercy upon them. Father, thank you for blessing us. I ask you for healing, for life, and blessing upon every family, every person who can hear my voice. Touch them, cause them to increase and abound, and be blessed in all things. In the name of Jesus. Amen.